Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. Welcome, welcome back for the second installment of How to Stop Criticizing Everyone and Everything. (laughs) So if you didn't listen to the last episode, go listen to that. That is where I break down really what I'm talking about with criticism, like how we define that. And I go over a couple of, well, like four major factors in our brains being trained to criticize. And then I also talk about some of the different motivations we have for expressing that criticism. And so in this episode, I really want to talk about what we can do to change it. And I want to preface this by saying, like, I've been working on this for a while, and it's still a work in progress for me. And it might be a work in progress for my whole life, and that's okay. And this is like a little bit of a side note, but it kind of feels important, especially because so many people listen to this podcast, and the vast majority of you are not coaches or teachers or therapists or people who do some of this work for a living, but some of you are. And especially in the coaching world, I feel like there's this thing that it goes like in and out of fashion to take like this bold stance about how, you know, you should never try to teach or coach on something that you haven't fully resolved and moved on from as if it's it's like unethical to do that if you are still figuring it out. And I just call bullshit on that for so many reasons. Like number one, first of all, I don't give a shit. Do what you want. You're an adult. Like I just, I just feel like there's like in any profession, there's like a group of people who spend all of their time like critiquing how other people do the profession. And there's a place for critique, like critical thinking is a useful skill. But I think the people who make the most change are the people who are out there like thinking about how they can help and serve their students and their clients. And I'm thinking about how I can teach on this podcast and help all of you and like not writing think piece Facebook posts about what other coaches are doing wrong. But anyway, more importantly than that, I actually think it's a little bit of a perfectionist fantasy that any kind of like deep psychological pattern is ever going to be fully resolved such that you are like no longer influenced by it and are fully beyond it and can regard it objectively. Like even if you change how something is in your brain or your life, you don't always know what it will look like three, five, 10 years down the line anyway. You know, sometimes I look back at something I've taught that at the time I was like, okay, I think I've sorted this. I get it. I've changed this in my brain. I'm done with it. And sometimes I feel like, yeah, that I still stand by that. I feel right about that. I feel like that was right. It hasn't come back up. Like I feel good about it. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, oh, my thinking has evolved. And now I see where I thought was done as being like one step in my journey. That doesn't mean that what I was teaching wasn't valuable or useful, right? Just because I have now even more perspective. And you never know when you might get more perspective. (laughs) So you'll never be sure until you die. And like, maybe if you'd lived longer, you would have gotten a different perspective. And some stuff never gets resolved, right? Fully. So saying you shouldn't teach until you fully resolve something is like saying you shouldn't share what you've learned about symptom management, even if you haven't fully cured a disease yet. That's just like nonsense. I think it's generally probably not useful to try to teach about something when you are like completely in it, have no clarity, haven't coached yourself. I mean, but then you won't have anything to teach anyway. That's just called crying on a podcast. (laughs) Okay. That was like a soapbox that I just needed to get off my chest. But I think it's important for all of you to hear me also saying that 
there's still stuff that I work on. There's stuff I may always work on. I often use the example of weight loss thoughts. Like I do not actively think about trying to lose weight or changing my body. My brain still occasionally has some shit to say about that. I don't act on it. I don't really entertain it. But like, this is how my brain is, you know? I have been socialized this way very deeply. So I can feel like I've done, I felt like I'd done a ton of body image work and I had. That changed my life and I've taught it to other women. It's changed their lives. And then I started doing some filming stuff and I saw myself on film and some old thoughts came up. That doesn't mean that all that work I did didn't count or didn't matter or wasn't good. It's just like, oh, here's a new level. And that's normal and that's part of life. Okay, anyway. So here's where I am (laughs) on working on kind of criticizing. And here's how I've been working on this so far. So first of all, you get to decide if this is something you want to change, right? On a really philosophical thought work level, calling a certain set of words criticism is a totally optional thought. And it's optional to think that criticism is bad or a problem. All of that is optional. There are many arrangements of words you can say that some people would call criticism and some people would not. Some people might call it helpful ideas. Some people might call them compliments, right? You could tell someone that you think their outfit really clashes and you would mean that as a criticism and they might think, awesome, that's exactly what I was going for. I love to subvert people's expectations for color pairings, right? They find that aesthetically pleasing or creatively exciting. And you meant it as an insult and they think it's amazing. Or you might tell someone you think they're arrogant and they might completely disagree. They might actually like that they're proud of themselves about something. So it's all subjective. What counts as criticism is subjective and whether or not this is something you want to change, even if you are offering people your opinions potentially without being invited (laughs) to and you mean them negatively, you still get to decide if you want to change it you still don't create other people's feelings with it. So I just decided to work on being critical because I thought that I was doing something bad or wrong or I was hurting other people's feelings, right? That's not my fundamental motivation. I decided to work on this because I didn't like how I was feeling when doing it. And there are kind of two levels to that. And I want to walk you through this because it's an example of what I always teach, which is that You have to work on your self-criticism and shame about any kind of habit before you can work on the actual habit. So I actually have to say this was quite challenging for me. I have done so much work on kind of self-acceptance and self-love and I feel like I'm like really pretty accepting and compassionate with myself about most things. I had a hard time around this. I was really in my own head about criticizing and criticism and sort of unsolicited feedback that I thought was negative that I was giving. And I was really sure that like, no matter what anybody said, it was sort of terrible and intolerable to people around me. Like I talked to my partner a lot about this and he had already expressed to me that he like didn't really mind. Sometimes calls it my improving instinct (laughs) that he mostly finds it helpful and loving and even when not, it's just like not a big deal to him. It's not a deal breaker. It's like we each have foibles. There's things about him that aren't my favorite thing to deal with, right? And it's just not a – it's fine. It's just part of loving a whole package. But that, of course, didn't change my thoughts and feelings because other people's words don't change our thoughts and feelings. So I still had a lot of kind of self-criticism and shame about this because I just had the thought that I was basically up in my own perspective and not really seeing how it could possibly actually be neutral, (laughs) much less positive. 
But then I had a conversation with someone that kind of blew my mind. So I was talking to my friend and my friend told me that their partner, so my friend's partner, is somebody with the same like improving instinct, we could call it, like gives a lot of constructive criticism, whatever we want to call it, like has a lot of suggestions for how they can do things better, how they can communicate better in their relationship, how, you know, what outfits like look great on my friend or it's a male friend. So like his partner will has lots of thoughts about like which shirt and jacket combinations look better on him or like how he should do his hair, whatever. And so he's telling this to me. And I was like, of course, my thought is like, oh, my God, how horrible, because I'm like really in this sort of criticism is bad. And then my friend said to me, like, I actually find it really sweet and it makes me feel connected to my partner. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Because this was like my brain could not accept. And my friend was like, you know, I was actually raised by parents who took care of all of our material needs. Like there was always food. We always had clothes for school. You know, there was like no material neglect, whatever. But our, he was like, but my parents were kind of emotionally absent. Like they didn't really pay that much attention to us. Nobody was really taking an interest. I talked in the last episode about how in my family, if you came home with a 98, somebody would be like, where are the other two points? And my friend was like, like, if you come home with a test result, nobody even asked about it. Like just they didn't really, they weren't engaged in that way. And so he was like, you know, when I met my partner and I sort of got to know this part of them, I actually, it made me feel really loved because it felt like someone was paying such close attention to me. Like somebody cared about how my hair looked or like whether my outfit worked or how we were communicating or some other thing they noticed. They were like paying really close attention to me and they were noticing me and they wanted to help me. And that felt really loving to me. Like I was being seen and I was being cared about. So that completely blew my mind. Now, all thoughts are subjective, right? So I'm not saying this is the right way to think about somebody offering you feedback or criticism or whatever. There's no right or wrong way to think about it. But for me, when I was working through my own like self-shame, self-blame around having a lot of critical improvement thoughts and offering them to people in my life, particularly my partner... I just really was so in it and had those blinders of shame on that I couldn't imagine that this was sort of to me something that at best someone could tolerate about you in order to like get the other good stuff that comes with you. And the idea that like it truly was subjective was like mind blowing. So this perspective really, number one, it reminded me that I was assuming that I knew how other people felt and that my actions caused their feelings but they don't, right? My actions, sharing an idea or suggestion or critique don't cause anyone else's feelings. Their thoughts do. And I don't know what those thoughts are unless they tell me. And if they tell me their thoughts, I just need to choose to believe them, right? So it helped me remember that any words I say to someone are just words. They decide what to think about them. And then it also reminded me how subjective this is, right? How much any trait can come across differently or any action can be interpreted differently depending on the person interpreting it. I also did some self-coaching and got some coaching on the positive side of this trait. Again, this is all subjective, right? But from my perspective, all I was seeing was the negative, that I'm always looking for what's wrong, that that means something bad about me, that it was going to make other people feel bad about themselves. Obviously, as a coach, I know that I don't cause other people's feelings, but when we're in it and we're coaching ourselves, it's because we've lost sight of these truths, right? So. 
I got some coaching and did some of my own self-coaching on looking for what's the positive side of this trait. And this is something that all of you can do, whether it's about self-criticism or about something else, right? So noticing what's missing and wanting to improve things and seeing room for improvement is something that has also created my entire body of coaching work, my coaching business, my professional success. It makes me a good coach. And it's helped thousands and thousands of people who have listened to this podcast. So no trait is one-sided, right? And often even in my personal life, when I share those things, people are glad to have heard them. Like I have gotten my partner into coaching by sharing places I saw patterns that I thought someone could help him with or things that if he wanted to grow in a certain way, he could work on. And he'll tell anyone and everyone that coaching has made his life so much better, right? And so doing some self-coaching on okay, even if this is something that I decide I want to change about myself, what are the positives of it? So that I'm seeing, I'm seeing myself as that whole human ecosystem, right? I have that whole podcast on the human ecosystem for other people, but it's true about yourself too. Okay, yes, I have a lot of opinions <laughs> about what people, you know, in my life could or should do differently. And sometimes I share them when I haven't been invited to, and that's something I can work on, but also what is the positive side of this trait? Like, And for me, my work in this world has come from noticing what's missing in the coaching world and wanting to help make it better and help change people's lives. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So I also then did some self-coaching on being really clear about what the trait is. Because I think that when we are in shame and self-criticism, we are assuming the worst about ourselves. But when I really dug into a lot of what I talked about in the last episode, like what is criticism? What does that even mean, right? What are the different versions and varieties of it? Where does it come from? What's the motivation for sharing it, right? And I was able to see then more clearly that even when I see room for improvement in myself or someone else or in you know the work that someone's created or whatever – It's never about believing or telling someone that they are not good enough or worthy. And it's not about telling someone that their work or their idea is bad or stupid. Like there's no cruelty in it. And there's, it's not essentializing. It's not that the way someone's acting or how their hair looks or their work product or whatever means something bad about them as a person. So for me, it's never coming from wanting to tear someone down or wanting someone to feel bad about themselves or wanting to like, show someone that I don't think they're worthy. It's never about that. It is just a sort of outgrowth of this relentless drive for improvement that I have in my own life and in the world. But there's better and worse ways to deploy that and more or less consensual ways of deploying it. And so like that's where I'm choosing to work on. So I did a lot of this work and I'm still working on it, but I have made a lot of progress of it, right? And doing that just like I always teach, working through the shame and the story I have about the behavior was really helpful because it both showed me how this is one part of a bigger trait in me. It showed me how it can be helpful. It showed me that I don't control other people's feelings and I don't cause them. But it also showed me that the downside of the behavior for me actually doesn't really have anything to do with anybody else, right? Because I don't cause other people's feelings. I could offer someone some unsolicited suggestions and then they could feel really loved and happy. Sometimes I'll ask like an old client of mine, like I'll see something, especially like my coach clients, like people who have, who I've coached in the past who are now coaches, like I'll see something on social media. And if I'm like, hey, can I offer you a suggestion about this? Or like, hey, I see something going on in your sales copy here. 
would you like to hear about it? I mean, I'm asking consent, which is important, but everybody has routinely been like, yes, please, I would love that, right? So what other people think of my suggestions is up to them. But what I saw when I removed the shame and the self-blame is that I did actually still have a motivation for wanting to change this that I like, which is that I don't want to feel constantly dissatisfied with everything around me. Like, I think a little bit of dissatisfaction can be an amazing thing that keeps us you know, innovating and striving and growing and improving. Like on some level, we have indoor plumbing because somebody was dissatisfied with the social solution of just throwing feces in the street. (laughs) So like that's a plus. But being constantly dissatisfied, not being able to just enjoy my surroundings or my loved ones or myself is not something I want to foster in myself. And ironically, my self-criticism and shame about the behavior, which was the most painful part, of course, is a result of the same behavior. I train my brain to find fault in everything so it also finds fault in me. So if I keep doing that, if I keep strengthening the fault finding, I'm going to keep strengthening the self-fault finding as well. Okay, so here are a few of the techniques I've been using to change this behavior, both in terms of my thoughts and in terms of sharing my thoughts. And I think there's kind of two categories of techniques. The first category is techniques that are about redirecting your thoughts about a particular person or thing. So if you know that you tend to like criticize your kid and get on their case a lot, like that you're constantly like, why, you know, you didn't clean up your room and like you never listen and blah, right, blah, blah, blah. Or you have one employee where you're always looking for something wrong or, or you only see the worst in your boss or in your own parent, whatever, somebody in your life. You can have a technique that's specific to that person or situation. So first you can practice a thought that you are going to think on purpose whenever your brain wants to criticize. So my favorite one right now is, (laughs) this may not have frosting, but it's still cake. I love this thought. This came out of coaching I was getting from Maggie Ray's. She's a marriage coach, but I've done some relationship coaching with her, which is, of course, just self-coaching about my thoughts. And this came out of like a conversation about that saying of like, well, having the cake and eating it too, or like the frosting on the cake. And so I use this all the time now. This may not have frosting, but it's still cake. And that is a thought that like kind of redirects my brain with my business, with my relationship, with my bonus kids, like with anything in my life where the bulk of it is really good if I choose to look at it and see it, but I'm fixated on like the 10% that could be changed or improved. This may not have frosting, but it's still cake. Rather than just fixating on how it doesn't have frosting or the frosting isn't the flavor I wanted or the frosting smushed or whatever, right? So you can have a kind of general thought like that. I invite you to use that one or some similar version. You can also do the practice of making a list of things you do like or admire or value about the person or a list of things that are good about the work or the project, whatever it is. You can practice focusing on purpose on things you do like or admire or value about the thing or person that you tend to criticize. The second bucket are kind of techniques that are more broadly applicable, by which I mean they don't have to vary by particular situation or person. So one thing I've been practicing is noticing when the urge to say something comes up and allowing the urge to be there without acting on it. This is very similar to what I teach in the clutch, in the modules we have, the courses we have around behavior change and numbing out for things that are urge-driven, like drinking or eating or shopping or whatever, right? Those are behaviors that are driven by dopamine urges We get like this urge to do a thing to get a little reward chemical in our brain. And I have that urge sometimes around voicing my opinion. 
especially a critical opinion. Some of you must too, because anything that happens in my brain, I found happens in a lot of your brains. And so I also have been practicing just allowing the urge to comment without making the comment, right? The loop in your brain to push the button to get the dopamine is intense and you cannot resist or willpower it. You have to breathe through the urge and allow it to be there without acting on it. One of the things I've been reminding myself is like, if this is a true thing I really need to offer someone, then it can wait, right? So like, if there's something going on, if I'm having a communication problem with a friend and I really want to address it, right, and I think they, I don't know, left me on red or ghosted me or are passive aggressive, those are all my subjective opinions. If I decide I want to say that, I want to offer what, you know, could be seen as criticism in that context. If it's really valuable and valid and necessary, like, it'll seem compelling in 48 hours also. If I feel this, like, intense urge to say it right away, that's usually more coming from that urge, that kind of, like, wanting to get some emotional release or get the dopamine from saying the thing, and that I want to breathe through. I've also been practicing a thought that kind of speaks to this desire overall, which is kind of variations of, I don't have to control this thing or person or behavior in order to feel good, right? Or I also use my feelings are created by my thoughts, not by X, where X is whatever I'm wanting to be different, right? My feelings are created by my thoughts, not by whether my kid cleans their room, or my feelings are created by my thoughts, not by whether my colleague doesn't answer my Slack messages or like whatever, right? Whatever it is I want to say something or criticize someone about in order to make them change. And then third, if I still want to offer an idea or a suggestion or an observation, right, I check in with my energy behind it. So I said I was going to come back to my coaching business, and here's how it applies. When I came into coaching and I noticed that something was missing, right, I noticed that the coaching industry didn't talk about socialization. In some way, that is a criticism and a critique, and I was offering a correction. But because my motivation was like service and growth and helping people, I really was just focused on that, right? I haven't made my whole business be about criticizing other coaches and other coaching modalities. Some people do that, right? I have seen people starting like what they call feminist coaching businesses where most of what they're doing is critiquing how everything else works and how everybody else operates and, you know, railing people publicly for various things and not following the orthodoxy that this person has created for themselves. Like, that is not how I did things. For me, I just offered this additional lens that I wanted to share that people could take or leave. And that felt amazing, right? That's why it's fueled this whole business. And it's kind of a good emotional comparison. When I want to share an offer or an observation or an idea or a suggestion with someone else, is my energy that I have an idea they might like to hear and I'm okay if they don't agree or don't want it, right? That is so important. When I am offering like coaching and my coaching ideas, I don't feel attached to whether other people will accept them. I don't feel angry if somebody else doesn't agree with me, right? Even when I'm coaching someone directly, like I just was coaching somebody in the clutch today who was talking about how they feel like they have to convince people of something. And I was talking about how like, I don't feel like I have to convince anybody. I don't have to convince my clients. I don't have to convince my students. I don't have to convince my listeners. That's just not the energy I'm coming from. So when I offer my thoughts on this podcast, I really am like, freely offering, like, this is what I see. This is what I notice. If this is useful to you, please take it and like use it. And if it's not, that is okay. When I'm criticizing someone, (laughs) 
I am very attached to whether they agree with me and or change the thing I want them to change or apologize or like do something, right? I am not just sharing an observation freely that I think could help them. I am wanting them to change, to change my feelings. And I do not feel that it's cool if they don't, right? So if my energy is around feeling like I need to control the person, they need to agree with me about my critique, they need to change or apologize or admit they were wrong. Like if they have to do something and agree for me to feel okay, that's criticism energy for me, right? If it's that, if it feels like I'm trying to control them in that way, then I got to go back to technique one or two, right? Then I got to go back to practicing thoughts about them or practicing my thoughts about trying to control things in general. Like if there's any urgency about it or if there's any control about it, I got to go back. But if it truly feels like, hey, you know, I just want to offer something. Here's the thing I notice. And I also been practicing just literally asking for consent before I offer that suggestion or that point, right? That's how I know it's more something that I would want to offer. All right. So there you have it, chicken. Now you understand hopefully more about your desire to criticize, why it's so important to deal with the shame and self-blame that you might have about that habit and how you can start to change it if you want to. I will see you all next week. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.